And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan Charles on this Saturday morning. And our next guest is a former shortstop of the Baltimore Orioles and now color commentator for Masson on the Oriole broadcast. Mike Bordick joins us on the phone. And uh, Bordy, uh, first of all, thanks for being with us. And secondly, our condolences to you and your family on the passing of your dad. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah, I was at the uh, Babe Ruth uh, bash last night, and uh, there were so many awesome fans that uh, reached out and uh, sent their prayers and wishes uh, to my family. He was a great guy. I loved baseball, and he certainly loved following the Orioles as well. So, um, how yeah, mu- he'll be missed for sure. How much of an influence was he, Mike, on you and your love and then eventually your skill at baseball? Yeah, he was uh, by far the biggest influence. You know, I mean, he uh, he was my coach up until I got to uh, high school in both football and baseball. And um, he was a great competitor himself. He taught me so much about persevering. I was never the biggest guy. And uh, taught me about hard work and uh, how to appreciate it. And, um, yeah, he, he was the guy that laid the foundation for sure. So uh, I owed him so much. Yep. Well, I know one thing. Uh, I lost my brother back on the uh, 3rd of January, and uh, he was five years older than I was and kind of like my dad without being my dad. Uh, so, so from that standpoint, I certainly sympathize. And I know it doesn't make any difference, Mike, what age you are and whether you expect it to happen or not expect You just can never really prepare for it. Yeah, no, you just can't. That's for sure. I'm sorry to hear about your loss, Craig. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, let me ask you about the this Oriole team as we get set to head down to spring training. Uh, we had Rich Dubroff on earlier, and uh, first of all, the, the Manny Machado move uh, from third base to shortstop and then Tim Beckham playing third. Uh, from what Stan was telling me last night at the banquet, you got you're not all that – disturbed by that move no i'm really not and i I think um i think buck has an uncanny way with timing and i think this potentially could be uh the perfect timing for manny and the orioles um in a sense that you know i think all along manny has wanted to be a shortstop play shortstop at the major league level um but out of respect for jj hardy and jj's gold gloves he didn't push it at all, and he ended up settling in at third base and becoming uh, arguably one of the best third basemen in the game today. So um, athletically, we, we've seen him. Um, he's got all the skills that, you know, possesses everything. You need to play shortstop um, skill-wise. I think the question is uh, whether or not he'll be able to sustain, you know, the focus for 162 games and become – the team captain, I guess you'd say, on the field as far as, you know, potentially leading uh, shifts and understanding how the defense is aligned, of course, with the help of Bobby Dickerson. But it could be just that perfect timing for Manny because, you know, he's a free agent. He wants to have a great year. He wants to show everybody that he can do this and be the best player in the game. At least that's the hope. And uh, he could he could have a monster year. Hey, Mike, Mike, you you alluded to it last night, and i got to be honest with you. I did not witness it last year. You said that in preparing to play shortstop for the Dominican Republic, 
you had seen a focus by Manny that you haven't seen. Oh yeah, it, it was awesome. Where it did really you was. Where I, did you witness that? Was that down in Sarasota, or or you're yeah. talking about once the game started? No, I'm down in Sarasota uh, when he was getting ready for the World Baseball Classic. You know, he certainly didn't want to disappoint, and the rumor was that he would be playing shortstop, and uh, he actually you know, actually said that he wouldn't mind playing shortstop, I think. And uh, he just had great focus, great intensity to his work. He had a very good spring. And uh, I know he enjoyed himself in the World Baseball Classic. But, you know, just just to see how he was moving out there. And I remember talking with Bobby Dickerson and and all the infielders. uh, Watching him work that spring training was a great treat. And uh, I think he proved to himself and, and to the Orioles that, that he can do that. He can lock in and have intense focus, consistent, intense focus, and uh, at least for that period of time. So hopefully he can do it, you know, through the course of the season. Six months, it's hard to do. One of the, it's the hardest thing to do, yep. I think, in all sports. Well, one of the things that uh, we were saying throughout the morning, and that's the fact that, it, it, you know, I think we all expect Manny to have a bang-up year no matter whether he plays third or short. Uh, because it's his walk year, and you know what kind of a year in focus he's going to probably have. But regardless of who plays where, it's not going to make a difference unless we find some pitching to go along with it. And when you think about it right off the bat, uh, you know, you know, you look at Gosman and Bundy, and then uh, how's Buck put this thing together? <laughs> I have no idea, man. <laughs> I, you know what? I mean, obviously, that's the biggest question this off season. But you know, the market really hasn't presented itself yet. There's, uh, you know, I think there's some adjustments going on, um, and I'm not going to say there's collusion, but you saw last year all the big sluggers um, that were just sitting at home waiting to get a job, and uh, you know, it didn't it didn't happen? They didn't get the big contracts that Chris Davis had gotten the year before. And I think you're seeing the same thing this year. There's a big adjustment. There's still a, I think there's over a hundred free agents yeah, out there. Still over a hundred, uh, which is which is bizarre. You know, how do you how do you set your team? And I think the Orioles are kind of they're just waiting as well to see where the market goes. So I think they've got their eye hopefully on some potential uh, free agents. But I am never, uh, hopefully, not counting out the uh, uh, potential. For trades, you know, I think the Orioles need to do something. Um, I know we talk about you know winning, 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 but the last thing the Orioles want is for them to slip back into uh, boy that what they went through fourteen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, exactly. So you want to keep trying to replenish and restock and keep a successful team out there. Well, what's your take on why some of these guys haven't been signed and why there are so many left out there? I mean, Brody Van Wagen in the agent yesterday was talking very seriously about, you know, there's some kind of collusion going on, and we're talking about collusion that's not politics, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, right. when when you when you think about it, I, there's no obstruction of justice, There's no though. obstruction <laughs> of justice, though. But, you know, but whether or not that's true or not, there's – are they just waiting to see how the market plays out? I mean, it's it's certainly free agency's taken a turn in the last couple of years where guys you would think would be getting big-time deals and money 
all of a sudden at the end aren't getting those kind of deals. I mean, you look at Carnacion, how long it took him for sign with the Indians. Last uh, year. Right. Uh, Jose Batista, he winds up going back to the Blue Jays last year. Now he doesn't have a team. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that with the, uh, you know, with, with sabermetrics kind of bursting onto the scene, I really think they're starting to try to value players through sabermetrics and somehow come yep. up with a formula to bring, just bring it, bring things down a little bit. It just seems like it, it seems like it's been a waiting game. I, I know last year we talked about those sluggers that didn't get signed or didn't get signed for the money that everybody was expecting. And I think, you know, we're going to see that again this year. Uh, there are free agents out there right now that are proven world series champion free agents and, still sitting there waiting, you know, and, and I just, I don't think, uh, owners are afraid of, um, of the dollars per se. It's just the, uh, value of the years. And yeah. I think that's something that gets talked about a lot. You know, it, you, you dump so much money into a player in the last three years, of the contract, they can't really move, you know, the way they did. Yeah. That's what's so, happening in the case of like a Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, and uh, several yep. of the players around major league baseball. Mike, I want to, sure. I want to slip back to uh, the, the Tim Beckham discussion. I know you're not a, an infield instructor during the season. Uh, I know you help out the club during the, the spring training. Um, but Tim Beckham came over. You saw how he played. I'm sure you engaged him in conversations here and there. I know Bobby Dickerson is really the infield instructor. Is he a coachable kid? And last night at Babe's Bash, you alluded not so much to the actual number of errors, but the internal clock he had at shortstop and how that might be better affected over at third base. Yeah. Well, um, Tim Beckham was – awesome when he came over to the Orioles and I'm not just talking about the numbers he has a great attitude I was um, something that stood out for me is and I know when a player goes to a, another team they really try to lift their game and show fans that uh, you know they have a lot of game left but mm-hmm. you know the Orioles were kind of uh, fading there at the end and I just remember him making some plays late in games say maybe an extra inning game or, or a game where the Orioles may have been getting blown out and him, he still played like it was the first inning, diving deep in the hole, trying to make plays. So as a competitor, he's exactly what you want. He wants to be out there. He wants to contribute. Um, but, but there are plays that sometimes really need to be made. And the goal of, I think, uh, Bobby Dickerson and Buck Walter and the Orioles is try to be as obviously as clean as possible when you don't have a rotation that, uh, you know, has number ones and twos uh, loaded throughout it. You better have a sound, solid defense mm-hmm. and everybody better be, you know, on the same page in that regard. And I think, you know, Bobby um, and Buck have made some adjustments and, you know, Colin, Manny for a potential shortstop this season. I think that's a, a big move like we just talked about. And I think Beckham just wants to continue to be a real good pro. And I think that he will come into spring training and work as hard as anybody to uh, be the best third baseman he can be because he wants to be out there every day. That That's his thing. He, he just wants to be on the field and contribute. I think he's good in the clubhouse. He, he, 
seems like he made some good friends uh, with the team. And I don't think anybody had a problem. And, uh, boy, he keeps hitting the ball the way he did. (laughs) Nobody's going to have a problem. Let's move to another player that that moved, changed positions last year. How impressed were you defensively and offensively with uh, the Orioles' best rookie player last year, Trey Mancini? Uh, yeah, he he was awesome. He he's so good, you know. He he's the guy. He's the blue collar guy. And isn't he just works. a tremendous kid, Mike? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, he he's uh, he's the one you want to bring home. Hey, this is a major league baseball player I've met. Yeah, yeah. He's perfect. You know, yeah. he's he's tall guy. He's got a good build. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say overachiever at all because the guy works and works and works. I think. For the longest time, he was probably under-evaluated. And, you know, he got an opportunity, and he made the most of it. And he uh, he forced – this is the most important thing. He really forced the hand of the yep. Orioles to put him in the big leagues, you know. I mean, there was really nothing else they could do. That's how good he was. He was their best player last spring. And, uh, you know, he, he did some really good things for the Orioles last year. And there's not a question that he is not going to work to try to be as good as he can be every day. Terry Crowley told me about him about three years ago. He absolutely, and Terry work, still works, does some roving instruction down at Bowie and Frederick and Delmarva a little bit, and, t- and raved about this kid three years ago. What do you like so much about his 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 um his offensive part of his game. Yeah, well, there there are a lot of things to really like about it, um, and the fact that he worked with Terry Crowley, I think, uh, has something to do with the fact that he's had success. The Crow is certainly, uh, you know, the king when it comes to teaching the swing. That's for sure. And you know, he made some adjustments. I think early on with Trey Mancini and Mancini locked in and just never looked back. You know, he's a guy that. It figured some things out. He dominated, it seemed, every level he played in through the minor leagues. And that's uh, all you hope for, um, for prospects and, and players that you draft, you know, to, to come in and say, hey, I want to be in the big leagues and take over. And he did that and forced the hand. And But offensively, I've, I've never seen anybody with the plate coverage that Mancini has. I mean, he – Aside from Vladimir Guerrero, who just got right. put in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> right. but he hit basically he, he hit out of the strike zone a lot. He was a free swinger. Trey's got patience. He lets the ball travel, and he's got power to all fields, and he can hit that nasty two-strike fastball or slider on the outside corner that might be just working off the edge, and he can also uncannily get that barrel to the boring fastball down and in that might be just working in off the plate. I mean. It's really impressive to see how quickly he can get the bat head to the baseball and let that ball travel uh, just a little bit further, I think, than most, and that's what gives him an advantage. As fans, you know, we'll watch a Chris Davis or a Mark Trumbo or even a Manny Machado get totally overmatched on a on a pitch that's strike two, and you go, oh, they're, they're, there's no way they're going to come back. Do you remember the at-bat? I can't remember if you or Palmer were doing the game against the Pirates last year. When Tony Watson had thrown him a pitch that he was to- looked totally baffled by, and he ended up adjusting and he hit the same pitch out the right field to win a game against the Pirates. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, you know, that's something we talked about so much all last season. His ability to make uh, in-game adjustments and in-at-bat In-at-bat adjustments, yeah. Yeah, it's just so impressive. He's got a great head on his shoulders. Um, You know, and and he, he learned through even some hard times. For as good as Trey was, all last year, he had some bumps in the road and had to work himself yep. out of it. And I think it was a great year for him, a great learning year for him. And I expect just nothing but good things out of Trey Mancini. Mike, uh, we're about a week and a half away or removed from the Hall of Fame balloting. And uh, you can't argue with the four guys that got in, including Vlad Guerrero. And I, I told Stan a couple of weeks ago on this show that one of the things I saw Vlad do as an Oriole was get a base hit to center field off a ball that bounced before it got to the plate. <laughs> he hit it off. He hit it off the ground and hit it into center field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that goes oh, he, that goes a little beyond plate coverage for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you got to hit the hit the uh, bat boy if you want to uh, walk Vladimir Guerrero. That's for sure. And the other thing was uh, Mike Messina. Hey, I was just going to uh, ask him uh, again. You played behind Moose, especially, and your, you faced him too, right? And you faced him too. His first year in ni- your first year with the Orioles uh, in '97. I mean, he goes into the postseason that year. He beats Randy Johnson twice. Uh, mm. He winds up striking out 25 Cleveland Indians in the in the two games in the playoffs in the ALCS. Uh, trending certainly in the right direction with 63.5% of the vote. I'm kind of expecting him maybe next year is his year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I know he was on the fence kind of going in, but, man, oh, man, he, he's got to be the most underrated uh, star pitcher of all time. I mean, he was I don't just get, I don't get it, Mike. I don't get why <laughs> he's this underrated. I, I don't either, other than the fact that it, it took him a little while to win 20 games, yep. you know, and uh, but just his consistency at a high level for a high period of time or a long period of time was was amazing, and that's the stuff that that players strive for. And you could just write him down as one of the top five pitchers in the American League in the toughest stinking division in baseball in that era, and a steroid load yeah, you know era as well and and he was just dominant eating up innings low earned run averages uh had all the pitches it was such a thrill to watch him pitch because he was the true definition of a pitcher you know he could he yeah, could that's... set hitters up throughout a lineup you know he wasn't afraid to take the ball to the end and uh it was a treat obviously playing behind him and, and to me the biggest Part which I enjoyed watching him throughout his career was the fact that if he didn't have it on a certain day, he'd make it up as he went along. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, watching him win games with uh, a fastball and a changeup, I think was was pretty impressive. Yeah, he'd come out. I didn't have my knuckle curved today, so I had to file that early, and he just kept him off balance with his fastball change. He could he could hit any spot he wanted with his fastball. He had. He had good velocity and he had incredible command with that pitch. Is this, you know, like I said, he he's a true pitcher. Could move it around a little bit, and uh, the mark of a great one is when they don't have their good stuff and find ways to get it done. Mike, I got two real quick ones for you. The uh, New York uh, Yankees uh, picked a, sort of an offbeat choice this year to be their manager in Aaron Boone, and if I think about the Baltimore Orioles and who could be 
an Aaron Boone-like candidate if the managerial seat ever opens up. I think of you, and I probably think a little bit of B.J. Surhoff. Would you have any desire to manage the Baltimore Orioles if the club ended up turning to you and said, hey, we think you could do a hell of a job? <laughs> you know what? Right now I have a desire of just, uh, you know, calling Bucks games and hopefully <laughs> hoisting a trophy, watching Bucks uh, All right, get one up there because he deserves it. But, uh, hey, I love the game of baseball. I love the Orioles. And BJ would make a great bench coach, I'll tell you that. All right. I love that. <laughs> hey, last question I have for you. Do you ever sit around and wonder, you know, you were playing for the Oakland A's and you played for some really good A's teams and you played for one of the best managers in Tony La Russa for a while. Do you ever wonder, you know, when you were traded to the Orioles, it was a big, big deal, but that your career and life would end up being in Baltimore. Do you ever sit back and think about that and what it, what might have been different if you just maintained and played with the A's the last seven or eight years? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I don't even want to think about living in California all that time. <laughs> I'm really glad we made the decision uh, to to come to Baltimore. You know, we were fortunate. It doesn't happen too often that players get, you know, a chance to get a a, a contract for uh, more than, you know, a year. And I was able to. My first one here in Baltimore was three years, and we decided to, uh, you know, make it our home. We were back on the East Coast. Our kids were just starting school. And uh, it's been, it's been a, a joy ever since. My yeah. kids love it here, my wife and, and I do, and uh, we're happy to be a part of the Baltimore community. And God, Baltimore loves you back, Mike. Yep. There's no question about it. And you know, the other thing you're talking about, B.J. Serhoff being a, maybe a bench coach for you, yeah. if that ever uh-huh. came, I said, B.J. would still find a way to blame himself if anything ever went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, Mike, thank, thanks so much for joining us. So when do you go down to Sarasota? Uh, I think I'm going to uh, be heading down with the position players. All right. Uh, right around the 18th or so. All right. Well, have a great time, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, I'll see you down uh, late March. All right? All right, guys. Thanks for having me this morning. Thank Thanks you 40. very much. Again, and uh, condolences on your dad. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. There you have it, Bye. Mike Bordick.